So a woman in the parks had an idea for a pop-up shop in which she wanted to sell high street fashion and big ticket fashion brands. But she decided before she started this pop-up shop that what she was going to do is she was going to try it on her friends and neighbors at her home. So she invites them over and about 10 of them pitch up. A couple of the neighbors weren't that interested in the shopping at all. They picked up one or two items but quickly put them down and then started talking about how badly the parents at the St. John's Rugby Festival had behaved. <laughs> Too many mimosas and beers or something. They tucked into the snacks and the bubbly and basically forgot about the shopping. About four of her friends were interested in their items and what they did is they picked them up, but then they remembered their discussions with their husbands or their significant others that actually the budget didn't stretch that far for another blouse or another jacket this month. One of the neighbors, however, was very interested in the clothing. In fact, he thought it was fantastic and boho. For those of you who are older, it's bohemian, okay? Um, I had to look it up. Uh, <coughs> not true. But his cupboards were full of boho stuff, and actually, he couldn't do with more stuff. He really liked it, but what he did is he soon joined the other four, talking about how inflation had gone up, and have you seen how the war in Russia is affecting the price of oil? Two liters for a hundred rand, and you can only get one at Woolworths or pick and pay, not two or any more. But three of the neighbors and her friends who came were very interested in the clothing. And what they did is that they wanted to shop and they wanted to buy, and one spent 150 rand, another spent 375 rand, and another, spent 750 rand. And if you're not hear, hard of hearing, listen up. If you'd lived around 2,000 years ago and you were following Jesus as part of the crowds that were following him at that time, that's all you would have got. And that would be the end of the service and we could go home. Unfortunately, you're going to get a bit more from me today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can be here today. And I pray, Father, that as I speak, that your word would go out with power, that you would anoint it, uh, and that it wouldn't be about me or how it's delivered, but it would be about the truth of what you have to say. Lord, give us ears to hear. Work in our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. For those of you who don't know me, my name is James. I'm part of the evening congregational team. That's for you. <laughs> That's okay. That's fine. Um, I'm part of the evening congregational team, and when I speak in the evenings, there are a lot fewer people. And when we started this morning, I was quite happy. I thought, okay, it's going to be a quiet morning. Everybody's gone away for their weekend away. Uh, I turned around in this, but it's great to have you here. We're in the second of our series in, uh, in Matthew, uh, and I've entitled today's talk, How Good Is Your Hearing? I've spent, if you spent any time in church, or in fact, if you went to Sunday school when you were younger, you may well have come across Jesus' parables. And maybe one of the best known parables is the parable of the soil or the parable of the sower. On the off chance that you haven't ever heard it or you haven't been in church long enough to have experienced one of these sermons on the parables, I'm going to ask Kirsten to come and read from Matthew chapter 13. Um, okay, so I'm reading from... Sorry, come up, sorry. Um, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 9 and 18 to 23. And good morning, everybody. So, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. 
And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and he sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they didn't have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the word by the wayside. But he who received the, stone on, the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word um, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some, a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Hear the word of the Lord. Amen. We keep it in the family. She's my sister, by the way. At the height of his fame, Jesus was attracting large crowds, excited to see if he'd perform another miracle, another healing, another exorcism. They were there for the spectacular, for the fish and chips, which never, it's fish and bread, I know, fish and bread, which never seemed to be in short supply, no matter how big the crowd was. You know, it was the vibe of the thing. Can you imagine if you were there, how easy it would have been to get caught up in the crowd? There was a buzz. What was he going to do next? But instead of preaching a sermon or performing miracles, Jesus tells them a parable. He tells them a story. Now, the interesting thing about this parable, parable when you look at it is, first off, you notice he doesn't mention God. He doesn't quote from Scripture. He doesn't even add a moral at the end. He tells a simple story from everyday life. There's nothing that Jesus says in this parable that, Jesus, that people wouldn't have been able to see. Now, it's likely that the bay in which Jesus was sitting is just outside Capernaum. You can find it to this day. It forms a natural amphitheater that would allow thousands of people to stand around and be able to hear what he was saying. Because we know from science now and also from practical experience for some of us that, water, uh, that sound travels really well over water. And just over the ridge from where this bay is, is a field much like the one Jesus was talking about. It had a hard path, rocky patches, weeds in the corners, and some fertile soil. It sets up the scene for this parable really, really well. It's an everyday, recognizable story that would immediately have resonated with his audience. This was no fable, no myth. It was something that they could recognize. 
Now, Jesus uses parables at this stage in his ministry to describe the truth of the kingdom of heaven. He uses seen things to describe unseen things, to reveal truth. The effect for both his audience and for us is that the parables reveal, but they also conceal. They add understanding or they remove understanding. It's a bit like that story at the beginning. There was recognizable stuff, but actually, what on earth was I talking about? What's the purpose of a story like that? Parables, though, are designed to elicit a response. Some will go away with no interest, even the interest that they've come with, and there are those who are fascinated and want to hear more. Let's be honest here. How many times have you heard a sermon and it's gone in one ear and gone out the other? Perhaps that's happening to you this morning. I certainly hope not. Or you read scripture and the the words blur into one another. Just try Leviticus, for example. Uh, And it just, you just don't get it. Then one day, as my mother likes to say, the penny drops. Francis Chan, the American preacher, has a really great illustration for this and one in which I'm going to shamelessly borrow to, to help us understand this. Do you remember those magic eye 3D posters that were all the rage for about three weeks in the 90s? Anybody remember those? Okay, so let's put one up here. I don't know if you can see, can anybody identify the picture? Do you remember what you had to do? It's like standing, blurring your eyes. Can you see what that is? I don't know if it'll work on the big screen. Maybe it doesn't work. Okay, let's try the other one, perhaps. I don't know if that that helps you. (laughs) Okay, so so I can't, it doesn't help you at all. I thought they they might not work. So just so that you know, the, the, the orange one is a bird with a branch in its mouth and the other one's a spaceship. But because I thought these might not work, I've got another example for you that may work. I'm going to ask George and Dom to come back up very quickly. When you're hearing a song, what we tend to sing is the melody. But for those who are talented like George, who actually trains choirs to sing, uh, he can sing the harmony. Let's see if you can get it. Guys, go for it. So just so that you know, Dom is going to sing the melody. Listen to George singing the harmony. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. (laughs) So so here's the thing. Did you hear it? Did you get okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I still struggle to hear it. Okay. In Mark's account of the same parable, he starts off with the imperative listen. If Jesus were preaching today in Johannesburg, it would be Mamela, listen up. He wants us to listen with intent. Because Jesus ultimately wants us to get it. But we have to listen or read, if we're reading, intentionally. The question is, how good is your hearing? He knew that there were people in the crowd who would be hardened to his message. They would forget what he said the moment he had finished speaking. And for most of us who do this, perhaps Greg or or the rest of us, that would be good enough to get us to stop speaking. It would be, people aren't listening, I'm going home. But God, listen to this, God continues to give his word to people who have no interest in it, who have no use for it, and who are in fact hostile to it. 
That's the first group of people, the rocky soil. Jesus was also aware that there would be those who were too shallow to get to grips with the reality of the gospel. That's the second group. Theirs would be a purely emotional response, enthusiastic for the good time, the lovely worship, the great coffee, the one or two or hopefully more people that are great to talk to after the service. But when trouble comes, they're in the first Uber out of here. For the third group, the, the, the soil with thorns, their lives were too full of other things. Being a believer is an optional extra. They've got the perfect job, the best marriage. They put a down payment down on their dream home. Uh, or alternatively, they're slipping into comfortable retirement. It would be good to have a bit of cool religion on the side. Their relationship with Jesus is peripheral to their stuff. They're too full of wealth and worry. There's no growth, no maturing, no fruitfulness for this group. They're no further down the line than they were on the first day that they became a Christian. Now at this point, if you're doing your maths and you know the rest of the story or remember what we've read, fully three quarters of the seed is wasted. And you may think to yourself, now hang on a sec, you've got this completely wrong, James. It's a quarter of the seed that's wasted. It's the one that Satan, the wicked one, steals away. The spurious conversion, if you will. Three quarters, if you include the good soil, made a response, and we can work for that. That actually makes our numbers look really, really good. But unfortunately, that's not how Jesus sees it. It's the final group that Jesus is ultimately interested in. Those who have ears to hear. The good soil, where the harvest yields a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. When it comes to uncovering the truth of the kingdom of heaven in this parable, Jesus doesn't spoon-feed the crowd. Although, without verses uh, 18 onwards, we may be just like that crowd, confused and bemused. Jesus is wanting us and them to respond, to engage in the story. Bear in mind that Jesus loses a crowd of thousands on this day. Only 12 respond and ask him to explain the parable. And of those 12, 11 go on to change the world. That's a great result, actually. When we look at it in our own logic, losing a crowd of thousands, well, doesn't seem to be the logical thing. But now what qualifies one to be good soil? Jesus answers this question in the previous chapter. His mother and brothers come looking for him, wanting him to come and bring him home. It's like, stop making a spectacle of yourself. It's time for you to come home. That's kind of how I imagine that scene unfolding. They came to get him home. What does he say? Well, he stretches out his hand. He points at his disciples and he says, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. It's those who hear and do the will of the Father. When we hear the truth of the gospel and it transforms us so completely that nothing else other than Jesus matters, where our troubles, the difficulties we face, the need for more stuff, the wealth and the worry become peripheral, where Jesus is central to our lives, that's when we become doers and not merely hearers of the word. Do you get that? Our hearts transformed by the gospel result in transformed lives, lived wholly and solely for Jesus. Everything we do, we do to the glory of God through Jesus. And what brings God glory? Well, when we're fruitful for him. Jesus calls the soil that yields the abundant harvest the good soil, not the other three. How on earth, though, can we become good soil? Soil that's not full of thorns and weeds, 
with deep roots that yields an abundant harvest. How do we have strong roots? It's by taking on the gospel, fully obeying it, and growing in maturity both personally and in bearing fruits and in sharing the gospel. If you have ears to hear, listen up. But here's the thing, and the reality is, is that we know that we cannot do this on our own. What makes the soil good, says R.C. Sproul, is the immediate supernatural work of the, on the soul by the Holy Spirit. It's only when we've been changed by the Holy Spirit to receive the word that we will. So, for the word or seed to take root and be strengthened, we need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts, who gives us ears to hear, who reveals the truth about the kingdom of heaven. It's like that moment when we actually, well, it didn't work here, but when you see the picture, the 3D picture, or you hear the harmony. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we deepen and strengthen our roots by reading and studying God's word. We deepen and strengthen our roots by living out God's word, by broadcasting the story of salvation and the hope that we have in Jesus to our neighborhoods, to the nation, to the world. We deepen and strengthen our roots by being rooted in God's love, our identity found in his love. We deepen and strengthen our roots in God by spending time with him in prayer and worship. So in conclusion... And you may be glad to hear that, given the fact that we're coming into land. The crowds had heard the most amazing sermon on the hill in Galilee. And even though they marveled at his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't add many disciples as a result. Even though Jesus had performed many miracles of healing and exorcism and sent out his disciples to minister to the needs of the people, they didn't repent of their sin and turn to him in their numbers. They enjoyed the benefit of the healings and the spectacle of the healings, but they didn't repent. So he tells stories, he tells parables, waiting for a response that he can build on. Embedded in the parable's optimistic claims, though, is an ominous challenge for us. Rodney Reeves, in his commentary on Matthew, says this, Are you perceptive enough to see now when the kingdom is barely evident in parables and in life, because if you are, then you will reap the rewards of, a kingdom when, of the kingdom when it comes in full force, when everyone will see it. However, if you don't see it till then, when it's undeniably present, it'll be too late. Like weeds thrown into the fire or bad fish thrown away, as we read about in the other parables in chapter 13, those who don't have eyes to see the kingdom now or ears to hear will be damned in the end. The Holy Spirit needs to give us ears to hear, but there's a sense where everything depends on the hearer when it comes to parables or the stories of Jesus. God doesn't beg us to come to him. He doesn't force us to respond to his call of salvation. He waits for us to respond. And we're all culpable when it comes to accepting the truth of his word. We have a choice as to how we respond. You can say, yes, I want to respond, or no. He doesn't force you to make that choice. There are consequences if we choose to ignore it. Romans 1, 20 to 21 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that's us, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and, foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Jesus' parables can't be approached passively. We have to be active participants in the story. They hold up a mirror to us, revealing more about ourselves than about the content. Because if we have ears to hear, the parable of the soil should prompt us to ask, what kind of soil am I? Once we see ourselves in the story, the parable begins to work. Let me leave you with this encouragement. Not even his disciples who had been with him since the beginning got it. But, and it's a very important but, they were the ones who asked Jesus to explain it to them. And he freely gives them an interpretation. They step up to engage. They respond what he was waiting for. And he freely gives them an interpretation. And thank goodness he does because we'd probably still be sitting here trying to figure out what the soil was all about. The reality is, is that we too can ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand the difficult stuff. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask, it says in James. When our ears and eyes are open to see the amazing truth of the kingdom of heaven Jesus is speaking about, we see the following three things. Firstly, the kingdom of heaven is subversive. Jesus turns the world upside down. The conventional wisdom, the wastefulness of the sower's approach is crazy. Ask any agriculturalist. You don't do that. That's just mental. Yet he keeps sowing the gospel generously. A risky crop on all kinds of soil. Despite the riskiness of the crop, we need to do exactly the same. It's what we're called to. But we don't do this in our own strength. We know that it is God who brings about the abundant harvest. And we also know, secondly, that the word uh, that... God's word will not return to him void. Here's the subversive bit. 75% of the seed of the gospel is wasted on peoples whose lives will not be transformed. But 25% yields a harvest, if you do the maths, and I didn't do the math, thankfully, because my maths is terrible, yields a harvest on average of 60%. You ask Om Charles, who's a botanist and understands plants, if you get a yield of 60% at least, out of 25% of what you sow, that's a pretty good, pretty good result, right? Exactly, thumbs up, great. My maths was good, thank goodness. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven is irrepressible. Great things come from very small beginnings. The kingdom of heaven in all the parables in chapter 13 starts as something unseen or hidden. Seeds hidden in the ground, leaven hidden in the dough, a found treasure hidden in the field. And yet the small things become an abundant harvest, become a great bush from the mustard seed, or become a small pearl of great value. There's a true story of a missionary in Ethiopia who just before the Second World War went far and wide spreading the word of the gospel. Uh, she spent many, many years there speaking to the local people. When the Italians invaded, they kicked out all of the missionaries out of Ethiopia, and in the many years that she'd been working there, she left with just one convert, a blind beggar. At the end of World War II, she was one of the first people to go back into Ethiopia to find out what had happened to this one blind beggar that had, success, had, had, had come to know the Lord. She found him together with 3,000 believers. That is amazing. That is the work of a God who brings about an abundant harvest. That's what it means to be good soil. One person, 3,000 converts. And he was a blind beggar. It's incredible. The kingdom of heaven finally is invaluable. 
What we value on earth is not as important to God. The wealth, all of those things, the troubles that we face, and there are people in this congregation who are facing trouble. The reality is, according to Jesus, there's nothing more important than the kingdom of heaven. Once you see it, like the hidden treasure, like the pearl of great value in the other parable in this chapter, you will desire it more than anything else. How good is your hearing? If you have ears to hear, listen up. Let's pray. Lord God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Transform our hearts today that we might be good soil. Holy Spirit, won't you do your work? In Jesus' name, amen.